Welcome to another episode of the Giant Take Podcast, our first tie recap of uh, the Giant Take Podcast history. The first tie the Giants have had since the 90s, uh, and I want to say it was also the first NFC NFC East tie since the 1990s as well, coming between the same two teams of the New York Giants and the Washington Commanders. They weren't known as the Commanders at that time, uh, but... It was a tie indeed, and it was the last tie in the NFC East. Although, and it's a top bullet point I have in our outline, um, this tie is a loss in our minds, in the players' minds as well. So that's the way we need to treat it, and that's the way I'm going to be treating it in this episode. Yes, we're going to go through the positives like we do in losses as well, um, but the Giants, with a win against this Washington Commanders team, could have put themselves a step closer to making the playoffs. Yes, they still have a chance of making the playoffs, uh, this tie did not help. Um, did not help that, and I want to say the Seattle Seahawks also winning did not help that either against the L.A. Rams. Um, so that's a problem. And we're going to see this team in two weeks, and that's a big deal. Um, out of this, the Giants are going to face the Philadelphia Eagles, the t- the leaders of the NFC East, next week, and then following that is going to be another game against the Commanders, except this time. Um, in their home stadium, FedEx Field, and we'll have to see how that one goes. But right now, the Giants are seven four and one. The Commanders are seven five and one. Um, but again, we are treating this this episode and um, this game like it was a twenty one twenty loss or, or something along that range. Uh, my name is Josh. Alex, my co-host. How are you? I'm doing all right. Um, to be honest, this result twenty twenty. Tie game, probably a fair result at the end of things, Can all things considered. You know, neither team was really better than the other. Uh, I don't think either team deserved to win, and there was too many mistakes from both teams, really, uh, to end up getting the W at all. Um, Giants obviously came closest with the attempt at the end from Graham Gano that fell just short, uh, or actually quite a bit short, um, but, uh, you, you know, a tie is a tie, um, I wouldn't say a tie is a loss because in general, you know, if you're the, it's better to be seven, four and one than it is to be seven and five, um, I guess. So, you know, in terms of record placing right at the end of the season, if we are, God, I'm going to try to, I'm not even sure if this is going to add up to the right amount of games, but if we're nine, seven and one and the Seahawks are nine and eight, um, you know, we'll get in ahead of them. So it's better than a loss. Um, but it certainly feels like a loss. Let's just say that, um, you know, it's it's a tough one, uh, especially considering the Giants were up 20 to 13, you know, late into the game, uh, midway through the fourth quarter. And, you know, a few frustrating mistakes, uh, you know, our defense finally kind of letting up uh, the lack of talent in the secondary really starting to show, um, you know, it was it was tough for us Giants fans to watch. And I'm sure it was tough for the Commanders fans to watch as well. And I think really this tie shows you're seeing a, a, ma- a matchup between two very even teams. I think the Giants and the Commanders are in very similar spots right now uh, in terms of pretty much everywhere that they are. Both have solid defensive lines. Um, both need a little bit of help in the secondary, developing offensive lines, uh, You know, questionable quarterbacks. Don't really know where either of those guys are going to be in the next couple of years. Um, and I think the big difference... Um, is that the Giants have Saquon Barkley and the Commanders have some very good receivers in Terry McLaurin, uh, Curtis Samuel, Jahan Dotson now. So I think that's the 
you know, the big difference uh, between the two teams, but otherwise I think very similarly built, similarly coached, um, and, you know, you kind of saw that on the day with the result. And obviously the main, you know, person everyone's going to be talking about is Daniel Jones. Um, He obviously had a pretty good game stats-wise, 25 for 31, 200 yards passing, and a touchdown. Um, He only had one incompletion going late into the third quarter, also had that fumble, um, but besides that, he also carried the ball 12 times for 71 yards. I would say Daniel Jones, again, the stats make him look a little bit better than he was today. Um, Not that he was bad, don't think he was great, but he definitely didn't win the Giants the game. Um, But I would also say he didn't lose the Giants the game. So, you know, as much as he's going to be the main topic, I really don't think there's anything to say because his impact on the game, to be honest, even though he's the quarterback, uh, was quite negligible. I mean, yeah, so the way we're going to, we kind of gave you our summaries already. Uh, We're going to go into the positives on offensive defense first, and then we can go through kind of what went wrong. I know Alex already mentioned in his like little summary. I mean, Daniel Jones, I wouldn't say it was, it went wrong or went good. So I thought I'd start out with that. (laughs) I mean, you could say that, but uh, I put him under the positives as we're covering the offensive and defensive positives first, like I said, Um, and then we can kind of go through uh, the wrongs and uh, what went wrong with the team. Um, after we do the what went right. So, okay, with that being said, I'll talk about Daniel Jones now. I want to say that um, I thought it's pretty impressive that looking at his stat sheet, um, you see that going to the third quarter, we had a couple deep shots on that drive. If you remember, I think both were to Darius Slayton, both being incompletions in the third quarter. And you're like, oh, wow, Mike Kafka finally thinking, let's go deep for once, right? Um, And unfortunately, both those plays don't go end up well. Uh, or I don't know, my vocab is a little off there. Both of those plays don't end up going well, uh, and the Giants punt the ball. But with that being said, again, to that point, um, Daniel Jones only had one incompletion on the day. Yes, the early fumble was pretty tough. I want to say, was that also in the red zone? Um, I'm not 100% sure, uh, but I, I do... Th- it might have been. Um, again, not 100% sure there. Fumble is not in the red zone. No, it was early on. It was like midfield. All right. So then uh, the fumble, obviously, early in the game definitely did not help whatsoever. It actually helped the Washington Commanders, if anything, um, with them receiving or, yeah, recovering the fumble, I should say. Uh, them going into the 10 nothing lead early uh, was difficult. Then the Giants were able to bounce back, um, and I want to say that was a big part of this first half that's positive there, is that they were able to get points on the board, they were able to get points on the board quickly, and I think really surprised this commander's defense heading into halftime. And then you come into the second half, and normally the Giants are a second half team and have been mostly all season. They come into the second half looking lackluster on offense, and this defense was not able to help like they normally are keeping the team in games. Um, and that, I think that's, you know, I mean, Alex, we were seeing it more than ever with the Wink Martindale blitz system, uh, that we were talking about it. What was it? Was it last week at this point? Yeah, I guess it, it was a little bit more than last week. It was the Thanksgiving loss to the Dallas Cowboys. I think where we were going back and forth with Wink Martindale's defensive system and the, the blitz heavy defense and the third and tens, and he's still sending the house and he should be dropping back into zone coverage or something like that. You were seeing that again in this game and Wink did not stop his system of defense. Um, and I think that was really apparent with how Jahan Dotson got his touchdown. 
um, and how the commanders and Taylor Heineke was able to kind of look like an MVP quarterback. I mean, credit to him. Um, the guy is a pretty good quarterback, and we saw that in this game. Although, is he an MVP-level guy like a Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes? Uh, we saw today in that duel between the Bengals and the Chiefs. Absolutely not. But the Giants defense made him look like that. And that was because their cornerback one is out. Their safety one is out. And we like to blitz a lot of guys, leaving one-on-one matchups. And when you don't have a cornerback one, when you don't have your first number one free safety in there, it's going to be some guys that are going to get freed up. And we saw that with Jahan Dotson today. A hell of a spin move. A hell of a job getting past Zion Gilbert. Yes. But... That's also Wing Martindale's defensive system. Um, so, uh, anyway, I think I started this with Daniel Jones, and I ended up going a little bit too much. So that's okay, but we're going to be circling around, I'm sure, through this entire episode. Um, so with that being said, circling back to where I started with Daniel Jones, um, I'm just going to end with... So much circling, I'm I getting know. dizzy. I thought his game uh, uh, was pretty good, and... Now I want Alex to talk about his guy, Darius Slayton, the next positive I have uh, on the stats sheet. Yeah, Darius Slayton, uh, again, kind of a guy who had positives and negatives, um, as much as that annoys Josh, because I know he likes to go in the firm order of positives and negatives, but I can't, you know, I can't stick to that. I'm sorry. Sometimes I just got to go a little bit crazy. Um, So he did have a 40 plus yard catch, um, which ended up leading to a Saquon Barkley touchdown. Um, that was in the first half. Um, he ended the game with six catches for 90 yards, 15 yards a catch. Um, but he did end up with one bad drop. He had two. He had two palms. For anyone watching on YouTube right now, you can see me doing the impression of uh, what he had on the had on the ball. He had two palms on the ball, um, but he was kind of falling backwards and he couldn't kind of corral it in. Unfortunately, um, and I know a lot of Giants fans were furious. Um, and it seems like with Darius Slayton, you kind of get a give and take. You get a um, the 40-yard catch that he actually made was probably more, di- actually definitely more difficult than the one he dropped, um, which is kind of funny. So, you know, you get amazing plays, you get big bursts down the field, big plays, chunk plays, and then you get a few, you know, questionable drops. But that um, wasn't think- even, it, it wasn't like, you know, the game last year where the ball was right in his hand. I mean, that was a tough catch, which he almost held on to, yeah. by the way. It was the last millisecond that just didn't go right where it kind of went under between his legs and it just ended up hitting the ground uh but yes Mm -hmm. going to that play alex a 40 yard catch 40 plus yard catch whatever you want to call it um it was a great read by darius slayton so anyway continue yeah and i think overall darius slayton has proven you know in the past few games that he can be a very productive wide receiver for this team um, but, you know, when you go to him on every single third down and, you know, big play situation where you need a big gain uh, and you're going only to Darius Slayton because the rest of the guys just aren't stepping up, then that's, you know, that's not even necessarily not stepping up. We saw Isaiah Hodgins, we'll talk about him in a minute, uh, stepping up as well. But, you know, when you look at him as your number one alpha receiver, not, um, you know, your kind of your speedster. Um, he, he kind of reminds me more if I, I don't know, I was watching a bit of the Eagles game today. He's kind of like a in between of Quez Watkins and Devonte Smith, but we're missing an AJ Brown and also a Devonte Smith. Um, if that makes any sense, we've got like that solid three Quez Watkins. He's always, you know, getting open for those big plays for the Eagles. Um, you know, not always super reliable, but he's there. The giants need those top two. They need their Smith and AJ Brown. Um, so that's going to be the interesting part 
uh, of this offseason coming up. Can they get those two kind of pieces similar to what the Eagles and the Cowboys and pretty much every good team, the Bengals, the the Chiefs don't really have that elite receiver, but uh, they do have Travis Kelsey, so it's kind of a bit of a um, tough comparison. Anyway, uh, Darius Slayton, you know, good game, I'd say, not terrible, uh, not great, obviously, with the drop, um, but I would say overall was positive uh, at the end of things, and then I was, you know, I said I was going to, we were going to mention him, so I'll just mention him, Isaiah Hodgins, uh, he had five catches for 44 yards, he also got his first touchdown, um, and he was very solid today, getting a few critical first downs, Daniel Bellinger came back today, Uh, he had five catches, only 24 yards, um, but he had a couple of critical plays as well. We saw he had the visor on, um, you know, to protect his eyes, obviously, after that gruesome eye injury. Good to see those guys back. Um, and, uh, you know, overall, good positive stuff from, you know, those receivers. And positive stuff from the offense overall um, before, well, not before because these stats happened before and after, I guess, the second half, but or during the second half. But remember, the, the offense did kind of collapsed in the second half of the third and fourth quarter um, and had some difficult times um, getting the ball down the field, if at all, because a lot of punts happened towards the end of that third quarter. Okay, let's move to the defense positives. Starting off with Aziz Ojolari played really well versus this commander's O-line. Um, after getting activated, had one sack, two QB hits, and obviously that one sack he was credited with. He also got credited with a forced fumble and with some athleticism was able to, you know, strip uh, Taylor Heineke to force fumble and actually had to go and recover that fumble as well um, after he stripped it. So some athleticism there from Ojolari. That force fumble was really key for the New York Giants. It, it led to a Giants touchdown. I want to say it was the Hodgins Go ahead, touchdown. I'm not 100% sure. The, you know, we're recording this late at around 8:30, a um, few afters after the game is concluded. So it's kind of fading from my mind now the specifics, but I do believe that's the touchdown that it led to. So a great job by Azizo Jalari there, and one of the positives for this Giants team. Moving on to another player on the defense, the defensive line specifically, Dexter Lawrence. Uh, he can he continues to pad the stat sheet with his dominant season nine sacks uh four of them or nine total sacks so far uh on the year four of them solo sacks what four of them solo tackles or wait alex what is okay you added this so that's why it's kind of stomping me a little bit um okay so i think you what you added here uh you put sackles four total nine total sackles um i did not touch the don't, I see you deflecting the blame onto me here, Josh. Like, I, I'm the crazy one who thinks sacks are called sackles, all right? I never put anything about nine in there. Maybe it was the mysterious document ghosts. Uh, okay, so then maybe it was it. me. Whatever. Nine total tackles <laughs> is what I meant to have. Four of them solo, one sack, one tackle for loss, and two QB hits. Sorry, that kind of threw me off there. Um, I don't believe he has nine sacks on the season. I believe he's at six sacks on the season, four being his career high prior to that. But how many sackles does he have? Yeah, exactly. The combination of sacks and tackles. Um, I'm sure we can figure that out. But anyway, uh, my apologies. You can continue with the defense. Yeah, and then finishing up that defensive line like you started with, um, um, excuse me, sorry, Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, uh, he got a sack. 
and almost had the safety on that sack. He was kind of left wide open, unblocked, um, and the commanders were down on the one-and-a-half-yard line-ish. Um, if it was a couple more yards, could have been a safety. And then Leonard Williams, um, he had a neck injury, so he was actually ruled out of the game. But if you look at that front four, Ojalari, Thibodeau, Lawrence, Williams, obviously Williams is probably not going to be here long term, um, but at least for the next season or two, I think that front four is very, very good. Uh, And we saw a real pass rush from this Giants team. Justin Ellis even got in on the festivities. He got a sack. You know, this front four was very, very good this whole game. Aziz Ojolari was kind of on a pitch count. He wasn't out there that much. But overall, you see the potential here of a dominant, dominant pass rush, um, you know, and solid run game, uh, you know, solid run stoppers as well. So I'm, you know, out of all the things we saw today, I think that was the biggest positive is kind of the you know, the idea of this very, very strong pass rush. Um, We didn't see, you know, it all come to fruition today, um, but you can definitely see the potential that's there. Ooh, I'll continue with the guys here. So we have Nick McLeod uh, was another player who stepped up today. I didn't even put Fabian Moreau on here because honestly, well, yeah, he was a positive, but he's just kind of like, you're just, he's expected to kind of just shine out week to week now uh, with his passes deflected, also with his coverage in general. Fabian Moreau has come to this team as an unexpected sort of little star uh, when it comes to the defensive side of things in the cornerback role that he plays as a starting corner cornerback every single week now. And with the Dory Jackson out, um, he's really had to step up even more covering guys like Terry McLaurin uh, and top, uh, team's top wide receivers um and he's been able to do that so but i did put nick mcleod on this i did wanted to i did want to give uh fabian moreau some credit there ah why can't i talk today nice defense uh for nick mcleod today as a starting cornerback with dory jackson out he had eight tackles and two passes deflected and uh okay i guess alex that that is where my defensive positives end and now we go to the negatives. What went wrong in the game today? Are you Ooh, ready to do this? Because it starts with the quarterback. Very upsetting. I know. Very upsetting. I'll I'll be honest. I stood up and got very, very angry um, after the Jahan Dotson touchdown uh, that went against this guy. Zion Gilbert, uh, he was frequently targeted. Got the surprise start in the slot over Cordell Flott. Certainly an interesting decision there um, by Wink Martindale and the coaching staff. And Washington definitely strategically, you know, targeted this guy. Whether it was Dotson, whether it was Samuel, whoever he was covering was getting the ball. Um, and then that Jahan Dotson touchdown, I was very, you know, displeased. Um, but obviously it wasn't just him on that touchdown. Plenty of missed tackles from everyone all around. Missed tackles, you know, for all. Um, and it, it was tough. And, uh, you know, watching, you know, some of our secondary players get torn apart. Um, not easy. Uh, especially when you know, you know, a guy like Adore Jackson is out, uh, especially after, you know, kind of a stupid decision, in my opinion, you know, having him in the punt return. Every time we give up a big play in the secondary, that's always what I think. Oh, my God. And why is Xavier McKinney on ATVs and Cabo San Lucas? Why can't he just sit on the couch and relax by the pool? You know, that's that the first thing that comes to my mind after every big play. Um, but yeah, certainly frustrating there. Uh, with Gilbert and some of the secondary, and Terry McLaurin feasted on our secondary today. Eight receptions, 105 yards, and a touchdown. 
and uh, Jackson and McKinney. McKinney, please do, you know, calmer vacations. And Adoree Jackson, please make sure the coaches aren't making you return punts, please. Yeah, uh, that's definitely something to say. I mean, we definitely missed both of them today, Alex. And you want to know another reason why we missed both of them was because, and I touched on this earlier, and I can definitely continue on this point for a while, but I won't for that long because we already talked about it earlier in this episode. Taylor Heineke teared apart this Giants defense late in the fourth quarter, led to him tying the game, although luckily they were able to come up with stops in overtime and not allowing the commanders to come you know, down the field and hit a either game-winning field goal later in overtime or win the game. Uh, oh, it, would, it could have been a field goal at any time because the Giants won the coin toss and they started with the ball. So, uh, you know, they stopped the commanders and Taylor Heineke from coming down the field and getting a game-winning field goal or game-winning touchdown. Heineke did end the game with 27 completions out of 41 attempts, 275 yards, and two touchdowns. But yeah, I mean, they made this, I would say, mediocre, average, maybe a little bit above average quarterback Looked like an absolute all-star, MVP, uh, whatever you want to call it, a top-tier quarterback in the NFL, like a few guys that I've you know already mentioned, whatever, Herbert, Mahomes, you can go down the line, Tua, uh, Burrow, all of those guys. He no is way not you just called Tua an elite quarterback after what we <laughs> saw today. All right. Not uh, discounting today, <laughs> I guess you could say. Um, but anyway, Alex Taylor Heineke is not that great. Uh, and we made him look super good because of these not number one cornerback talents and these not number one safety talents. And it really does suck because you know that these quarterbacks are not as good as they look on the field. But that also can be credit to, and let's go back to your talks on Thanksgiving Eve or Thanksgiving night, I should say. Uh, Thanksgiving night of Wink Martindale's defensive system. Um, Wink Martindale. He is showing blitz heavy all the time. Sometimes they drop back into man coverage and they don't come full heavy on the blitz. Sometimes they go blitz heavy and they bring the entire house and they pack it. And sometimes it really works. Uh, We had that Kayvon Thibodeau sack, which almost ended up in a safety if he was a yard closer to the end zone. Um, It didn't, though. Like, setting the house, sometimes it works and it looks really successful and it forced a few key Taylor Heineke overthrows or misplaced balls uh, throughout this game and rushed him in the pocket. That's great. But sometimes it leaves guys single covered with not number one cornerback talents like Zion Gilbert versus Jahan Dotson, like I said earlier, and with one really nice spin move that can end up in a touchdown. So I guess I want to go back to you. I assume you're just going to have the same point as you did uh, last what was it, last Thursday, two Thursdays ago now, um, against uh, the Cowboys on Thanksgiving. But any update to your thoughts with defensive coordinator Wink Martindale still calling plays as he will for the rest of the season? <laughs> um, I don't actually – I wasn't too mad with his play calling today, mostly. I actually thought he was more conservative than he was against the Cowboys, generally speaking. We'll see what the numbers are in terms of the blitz percentage and all that. But from the eye test, at least, it felt like he's a little bit less aggressive – um, you know, for what it may be, for what it, you know, for what it is, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I wasn't super bothered by that. Um, at a certain point, eventually you're going to have to have some guys play man, man to man. And, you know, sometimes, you know, especially against a receiving core, that's as good as Washington's, you're just going to get beat. And that's what happened today. Uh, their receivers are just better than our corners. And (laughs) that was pretty much the end of the story there. Um, I guess we'll move to the offense now and talk about some of the negatives that they had 
Saquon Bar actually before Saquon Barkley and Richie James, you know, they had a whole catastrophe. We'll get to that in a second. But John Feliciano late in the fourth quarter uh, knocked the Giants out of field goal range with a taunting penalty. It looked like he was going like this, like flexing. Um, and well, that's what he was doing at like the commander's I've defense. I've never seen Alex flex before. That was, that was a pretty great experience. I know it's great. So, <laughs> you know, if, if you're listening to the podcast right now, you should go to YouTube and check it out because it's not a site you're going to want to miss. Um, anyway, apparently he was not pointing or flexing at the commander's defense, but he was doing that towards Darius Slayton. I don't know. I didn't see the clip, so I have no idea. Um, in response to the penalty, Feliciano did say, it sucks when you play two teams. I'm probably going to get fined for that. Um, and said about the call and, you know, I don't know, just don't be stupid. Like there's no need to, I'm not going to do it again. Cause Josh is going to get too excited. Um, but it, like, there's no need to start flexing. Uh, even if you're anywhere near there, uh, like just go flex on the other side of the field. So we don't get the penalty. If, if it's the first quarter, like not a big deal. You could do it. I don't care. But when it's in crunch time, just you just use your head, please. Um, but still upsetting, uh, especially if the call was incorrect and not actually taunting at the other team and just taunting or not celebrate. I don't even know what you'd call it, celebrating uh, with Darius Layton. But certainly unfortunate there. Um, it was you know, a big and- play. It was a big first down, and he wanted to celebrate. I mean, I understand it. You look towards the sideline, and I don't know if you remember this, Alex. I mean, and you said you didn't see the replay, but you saw the replay after the penalty was called because they showed Feliciano doing the flexing. and the Yeah, but four. it was kind of cut off. Like, you didn't see where he was looking to. Like, you didn't oh, see yeah, that yeah. No, you didn't see there. that he was looking yeah. at Slayton, but you saw, like, the three or four uh, commanders in front of Feliciano. They were all around him. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, but you did also see an absolutely livid Brian Dable on the sideline was Bro, going He was heating up like a tomato. Fuming. Yeah, it was crazy. And we've seen our head coach do this before this season. That might have been the biggest one yet, and I, I feel like I've been Nah, he had a bigger one last week when he was all pissed and he looked like he was about to cry, like he was a little boy who just got his like favorite toy taken. Like that was the against worst. I think the Cowboys are saying against the Cowboys. Yeah, that was worse. Okay, well this one was also pretty much up there. Okay, it was, yeah, it was pretty, was pretty bad. bad though. He was enraged, um, and he mentioned something about in the post. I was enraged too. So <laughs> I don't remember the exact thing that he mentioned in the post game, but I'm sure. Oh, I think he actually said you can put the blame on me, but I think that was in reference to the play calling uh, for the night. I mean, I'm sure I can look up the clips, and I'll be posting them, I'm sure, on social media like TikTok and YouTube Shorts, so uh, be sure to check those out whenever you're listening or watching this. All right, we can continue now with the... I mean, I don't really... Let's see, do I have anything else in regards to the Feliciano situation? I don't think so. So we could just go to the Saquon Barkley-Richie James talk. Yeah, uh... This, um, you know, when you have probably a Real large, fun play. a large, a larger audience watching this overtime game, all the Fox stations are tuning into this, the, the United States as a whole, probably on NFL red zone. Let's take a look at the giants versus commanders overtime game. This one's getting into the big point and you have the entire nation watch two of your players run into each other. Yeah, that's not fun. And, uh, all of the giants memes, collapse on you at once and how much of a joke they are right then and there Saquon Barkley and Richie James run into each other on a third and two an extremely crucial play the biggest play of the game with just under two minutes to go in overtime uh, on the commander's 46 yard line which forces Jones to scramble and only make it back to the line of scrimmage and I do believe that was the time where uh, Brian Dable ended up punting it 
it took yes, the delay the right of game. Decision. Took the yes. delay of game and ended up punting it, and everyone was like, "Why the hell is he going for the tie?" Um, I was a little right decision. Alex thinks it was the right decision. I'm kind of torn. I don't really know. Um, but what I want to say, my re- initial reaction to Saquon Barkley and Richie James bumping into each other, I first yelled, I was like, oh my God, how do you not know the playbook? And that's that's the first thing that's on my mind because it's true. So this is the third and two. This is the biggest play of the game with under two minutes left in overtime. Mike Kafka calls the play from upstairs. You need to know, if you're Saquon Barkley, if you're Richie, J- Richie James, you're lining up to the side of Jones on his left and right side by his hip, you have to know in your head what the play is going to be. This is the biggest... If any play that Mike Kafka is going to call, obviously you're going to have to hopefully know all the plays in the playbook. I hope all the Giants offensive players know every single play in that playbook. But this one specifically, if Kafka calls this special type of play where Richie James and Saquon Barkley are both involved, where whether it's a... From the way that Jones turned, he did turn to his left side after the snap immediately. So it was either going to be a handoff to Saquon Barkley with, I guess, Richie James just there to fake everyone out, or it's going to be a fake to his left, fake handoff to Saquon Barkley, and then maybe a throw or maybe motion with the RPO with Daniel Jones and Richie James. We'll never know because Saquon Barkley and Richie James, after the ball was snapped, ended up running into each other. So we have no idea what that play was going to be. But... Uh, we can only assume, Alex, and that's where I'm going to leave it because we want to know what that play was going to be. We can only assume they ran into each other. I mean, for the people who said the Giants should have gone for it after that, I th- I would say this. Your offense just watched itself run into each other. Um, the confidence level is very low going into a fourth and like three situation at the, that time. You haven't been able to convert third and shorts all game. Probably best to go for the tie, especially when your main competitor is the team you're playing. Um, you don't want to give them an advantage over you and, you know, trust yourself to go into other games against other opponents um, and hopefully get results that you want. I, I think it, it made sense. I don't think there was a reason you'd go for it. Um, it was just a little bit too far. It was like fourth and four and fourth and three and a half ish. I don't know. It just seemed. Especially if it hadn't been what just happened in the previous play, I think it's a different scenario. But with your players running into each other, it just you know, felt like a whole circus. Just punt the ball away, give it back to the defense, and hopefully they can make a play. And they did get the ball back to the offense. Yeah, the, <laughs> Alex, the play still confused me. Like, I just don't understand how do you not know the playbook. And that is going to be what I'm going to repeat until this Giants preview uh, against the Eagles. I'm going to be saying it all week probably until Thursday. It's, it's tough. I, I still can't get it out of my head. How do you not know the playbook? How do you not run that play correctly? How do you not convert on a third and two? And I think that was the second third and two the Giants didn't convert on. There was one earlier in the game. I want to say it was in the third quarter. A third and two. The Giants did not convert. They end up punting it there. Um, It was not going to be a fourth and three. Daniel Jones, luckily, did make it back to the line of scrimmage. It would have been a fourth and two. Which, again, I mean, I, I don't have an answer for it. I'm still split between uh, the decision. I know everyone on Twitter, though, was saying... Why are we playing for the tie? Um, you know, at the end of the day, we got the tie regardless. I, I do think, though, football is a win-or-lose sports. We are not gonna, we don't have ties in playoffs. The Super Bowl doesn't end at a tie. So that's where I'm going to leave it there with just saying that you, you really play a football game to win or lose. You don't play a football game to tie. But Brian Dable in this game today, he played for a tie, and that's why he punted the ball. So I don't think, he necess- I don't think that's true, though. Because he could have punted the ball realizing, hey, if our defense gets a stop, which they did, 
we get the ball back. That was the luckiest stop with time left we could have possibly gotten, Alex. We had the 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 incomplete passes to stop the clock. If that didn't happen hey. and they ran the ball with Brian Robinson, uh, you know, Taylor Heineke was able to move the ball upfield. We had some strategic timeout calls. We had the most time possible left. That I feel like that drive for Washington with the It was very well sacks, executed was, by the Giants defense. Right, exactly. <laughs> it was beautifully executed. But the thing is, we punted that ball with what, one 50 remaining he was playing the game to tie Alex he was hoping the commander's offense would go up the field and they would oh they are just short they make it to the 40 yard line but they aren't able to get up the field the clock hit zeros there's no way I think Dable had enough faith in that team where he was like okay here's my we're gonna take this live game here we're gonna punt it we're gonna get all those stops possible and we're gonna get the ball back with 50 seconds left we're gonna drive down we're gonna win this game with the grand that's exactly what I think he thought absolutely not I I don't agree with you okay no wrong no coach is playing to lose Alex with a minute and 50 yeah no coach is playing to tie either but look at Brian Dable today he didn't play to tie. That's exactly what he did. By punting the That's, ball, you're playing to tie. So every time you punt the ball during the regular, like during a game, what was the score the at that time? It doesn't matter. What no, the score it does is. matter. We were going down to overtime. Brian Dable knows that if the score in overtime is tied, that's the way the game ends. He knew yes, the situation, but he thinks, "Hey, my defense has been playing well all game." Yeah, and he they thinks he'll be able to drive. stop. The they commanders can stop from going them and on a get ga- the ball. He thinks they can stop the commanders from winning the game, meaning it would end in a tie. He does not. No, he thinks time he can stop the left. commanders. He thinks he can stop the commanders and get the ball back to our offense. This would agree to disagree because we're not going to come to a conclusion there. Um, again, I'm still I'm still torn on the decision to punt the ball, but when it comes to your logic of what you think was going through Dable's head, I completely disagree. I think Brian Dable was absolutely playing for a tie ball game at that point. But whatever. We can agree to, agree to disagree. We're over 30 minutes in the episode. I don't want this recap to go too... I mean, again, it was a goddamn tie. 2020 Giants Commanders. And there's no reason this should go an hour-long uh, recap. But to cap off this game, see what I did there? Graham Gano hits a 58-yard field goal. Nope, just short. Uh, to end overtime, the clock hits zero. And that is how the game finishes. I, that was, I was on my feet. I go, oh. <laughs> everyone thought it was in, too, because you don't get the depth perception, right? Yes, yeah. of course. Uh, everyone in MetLife Stadium knew it wasn't in because the wind apparently was going in the opposite way of the kick. So I, I read, I think it was an Art Stapleton tweet, that's, or maybe it was, yeah, I think it was Art Stapleton of NorthJersey.com that tweeted out, um, Graham Gano misses a 58-yarder against the wind, of course, like you expected that to happen. I mean, as you're watching, you have no idea really where the wind is going, and you look and you see from the depth perception that it's that it's in, but it's just because the camera looks like that and it's short. Um, but yeah, obviously, if I was told, like, oh, this kick 58 yards is going against the wind, I would assume it would go be short the whole time. But, I, I mean, you have to obviously take that shot. I don't think you're going to have Daniel Jones go for a Hail Mary in the end zone. You have no, to see it's if the right decision. you got to kick the field goal. Run out there and, and to be honest, get it. At even, I don't know what the win was, but it wasn't like crazy win. It wasn't I, gusting. I no, it wasn't so, that Lions game we went to. So, yeah. So, like, to be honest, I don't want to be like a pain in the ass, but that's a field goal I'd expect Graham Gano to make. Like, I, I get it that I've actually found it interesting that no one on Giants Twitter whatsoever was like, oh, he should have made that field goal, like, type of thing. I was kind of shocked. Like, not that I'm, like, expecting him to, like, logically, but, like, emotionally, I'm like, you know, this guy's been hitting field goals 55, 56, 
58 yards all season long. And he didn't he fell that short, you know, of, of miss of making this one. I don't know. You know, you see all these kickers are, you know, kickers are obviously able to kick from farther and farther every year. Um, and the record just keeps getting broken and the average, you know, kick length, whatever, keeps going up. But I don't know. Personally, I kind of felt like, wow, Graham Gano got like no, like, you know, bl- I don't want to say he deserves blame. He shouldn't, right? That's a tough kick. But, you know, in this day and age, I feel like of field goal kickers, I want like logically when I think of it at that point, 58 yard field goal, I'm thinking he's it's like a 70 percent chance he's going to make it. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I mean, you know what that is, Alex? That's, Blind faith? <laughs> no, I was going to say that's a giant take right there. And I think that's, uh, that's a giant yeah. take. And I think that's where we're going to leave it. Um, you know, a few things you could do to help us out if you're watching and listening to this episode. Subscribe wherever. Apple Podcast, Spotify, YouTube. Uh, some other places as well. To find out more places to listen, go to shipitstudios.com slash thegianttake. You can also check out our social media platforms. We are on Twitter and TikTok, The Giant Take Pod, Instagram and Facebook, The Giant Take Podcast. Alex on Twitter at Norin23. I'm on Twitter at Joshua29. Um, and again, thank you so much for listening to this recap of a tie ball game. Oh my gosh, I still... Football games are not made to win or lose. Or what? Football games are made to win or lose. They are not made to tie uh, and this is a rule that the NFL should really think about getting rid of. I understand the reasons for it, and you know the continual play past one overtime period could risk injury. It's a regular season, could you know could risk exhaustion, um, hyperventilation, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but I you, I think you got to keep playing past an overtime period and just make it next score wins because you can't end in a tie, man. It sucks for both teams. I mean, ugh, oh, terrible. Anyway. Alex, wrap this one up. All right, quick admission here. Personally, I know this is an unpopular opinion. Kind of have a little bit, you know, kind of don't mind a cheeky tie every once in a while in the NFL. Don't know why. Just saying it. Now Josh can't respond uh, and get mad at me. I'm Thank responding you for anyway. <laughs> no, 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 no. You're That's a total soccer fan opinion. You're used to ties. You're weird. <laughs> You're so weird like that. You've grown up watching soccer. You understand a, a draw, as they would call it in the UK, or a tie. Um, so a tie yeah, of every once okay in a while won't kill people. It won't kill people. And I think it, it shows grit and you know both teams really put it out there anyway thank you everyone for listening to today's episode we'll see you next time looking forward to the eagles Welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast. I'm Bill. And I'm Jason. And this is the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. So whether you're a brain, a jock, a valley girl, or a Jedi, we've got some 80s classics for you. Do these movies stand the test of time? Are we discovering something new? Is there an 80s movie we're finally watching for the first time? Join us each week as we dive into the cinematic nostalgia that inspired and influenced a generation. From the hits to the cult classics, we'll discuss our earliest memories, favorite scenes, 
fun facts, and our not-so-favorite movie moments, too. It's the All 80s Movies Podcast, now available on all major streaming platforms. Please subscribe and happy listening.